Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The black bear is one of the most impressive predators in North America, ranging up to 300 or more pounds. And on this episode, we're going to talk about the tactics, the guns, the gear, and the aftershot care that goes into hunting these outstanding predators. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the New Hunter's Guide, the podcast and YouTube channel helping new hunters get started and helping active hunters learn new things. Well, today we are diving deeper into black bear hunting. I've got back with me Jeff Lund, who's from uh, southeastern Alaska, has spent his life growing up around black bears and all the amazing game in Alaska. He is the uh, author of the podcast, The Mediocre Alaskan, which provides a real-world picture of round-the-clock, you know, round-the-year lifestyle, hunting, fishing, and everything in between what really happens in Alaska. Author of the book, A Miserable Paradise. Also a published author, teacher, and just all-around Alaskan, um, you know, just... just pouring information and insight and helpful content out there about the place that he lives. Jeff, welcome to the show. It's great to have you today. Thanks, man. You're you're quite the hype man. <laughs> hey, I've, I've been through some of your stuff. I've read some of your your uh, your material, listened to some of your shows. I'm a big fan of what you're doing. I'm a big fan of all things Alaska. I've got all of the different Alaska shows saved on Amazon Prime. Watch them all by every season. And of course, you only get a fraction of the picture there. And what you're putting out is the whole thing. It's the whole truth. It's the full picture. And it's just so much awesome stuff. And so much of it, I think, especially when you're talking about predator hunting and bear hunting, uh, is transferable to you know numerous states across the nation and just a lot of really helpful stuff. So I really appreciate what you're doing there. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, and I will say that those shows are pretty fun to watch is like guilty pleasure shows. And a lot of that stuff at times is pretty accurate, but there's also 
there is a reality to living up here that the producers don't really even know to guess at. It's like, oh, we're going to manufacture this conflict when really this other conflict would probably be that much more interesting. But uh, another, I guess... I don't say warning, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of different people can give you a lot of different advice. And so anything that I'm going to say is going to be based mostly in like Southeast Alaska, whereas the whole program, if you go up to Kodiak or the interior is going to be much, much different. So I'll speak more to what I know. Um, and that's, that's Southern and Southeast Alaska. Yeah, that's awesome. So guys, if you missed it, we did a previous episode, which was sort of your level one introduction, mostly for people who've had some hunting experience, maybe hunted deer before, decided it was time to go after black bear. We talked about, you know, why would you hunt them, the different places that they live, if habits, habitat, where do you find them, primary hunting strategies. Make sure you go back, check out that episode if you missed it. This is part two. We're going to dive in deeper here. And uh, Jeff, I want to start with the first question on my list. How should new hunters get started in bear hunting? I'm not saying people that are brand new to the sport. I mean, they've hunted something before, so they've got some of the basics down, but they've never hunted a bear before, maybe never hunted any predator before, but they've got black bears on the mind and they, they want to to move in that direction. How should they get started? I think you have to, everyone has to deal with that epic hunt you know that one that's kind of in the back of their minds and i think any hunter has got to toil with alaska you know you got to come to terms with what's going to get you up here and is it going to be you know sitka black deer is it going to be caribou moose is it going to be bear so i think it, if if that's on your on your list i think a, a black bear in southeast alaska is just an absolutely it's got all the adventure you could want and so whatever your goals are, just, you know, match that. If you want to get a couple of black bear under your belt first, before you come up and do that, that, you know, that's fine, but it's just kind of what, what you want from, uh, from hunting, how adventurous do you want to be? Like by all means, if you want your first black bear to be the, the epic trip to Alaska, then it, it absolutely can be. And I think Southern Southeast Alaska is great for that because you're looking more at just black bear in, in most areas and not, mixing with uh, brown bear and black bear which can which can complicate things especially because or maybe first because uh, brown bears are, re require guides in, in some areas but uh you know if it's your first bear it's definitely a spot that uh, that's doable it, um it's going to be difficult it's going to be different than you probably imagined but uh, i think it just comes down to goals as a hunter and what you're comfortable with because if you're not really comfortable then maybe you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not the first hunt for you, but you know, if you want to get after it, then, then go for it. Yeah, that's awesome. So in your experience, how big is a mature, full grown black bear going to weigh in at? Not the, not the max that they can be, but you know, if you went out and you found a good one, you know, what kind of weight would you be looking at? Um, it's, it's kind of tough to tell. Like there are certain areas where, you know, if, if you're next to a river that has, um a, t a ton of fish like you can get bears that are just you know like almost scraping their their bellies um and just huge and in other places just you know they're not they're not quite as big you can see the difference in like a brown bear that uh, lives in katmai that's you know just huge so um average adult male bear is like 150 200 pounds something like that um but they could be you know 20 30 percent more than that in the fall after they've just been putting on fat so much so 
Um, you know, you can get up to 350 pound black bear, which is crazy. And you're going to get hundred or so, 120, 140 pounds of, of meat from that. So you could be going toe to toe with a 300 pound bear. And that's, that's not an unrealistic possibility. Uh, the, uh, the toe to toe part might be, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, like you, you, you're anticipating, this is a, this is a big, this is a big deal. I know that, um, you know, brown bear is going to get you uh, or grizzly bear is going to get you a lot more attention from people. If you say you went up to Alaska and went grizzly hunting or brown bear hunting, but, uh, you know, black bears are no joke. That's uh, that's for sure. It's probably going to cost a lot more to go or brown bear hunting as well. Wouldn't it? Yeah. You're, you're looking at your non-resident hunting license is $160. And, um, I think the harvest it's non-resident is $450, I believe. Uh, so you're into it for, what was that? six hundred and ten dollars uh before the plane ticket and your plane ticket um let's see here i just actually checked this pittsburgh because you're in pennsylvania right so pittsburgh to catch a can you're looking at uh about 300 to 350 dollars one way so um you could probably around 800 dollars or so in uh in tickets to to get up here and then uh 610 for the license and the tag the uh, it's a harvest ticket, so you can get um, you can get that over the counter. You can buy that online, so you don't have to worry about winning a draw. In certain areas, there there is a draw uh, in Unit One, Prince of Wales, or Unit Two, Prince of Wales, which is kind of famous for um, having really good uh, populations of black bear and very large black bear. There is a draw if you want to do it. That's not guided. I think in the previous episode, I said that uh, you had to draw for. Uh, non-guided. So check your regulations just to make sure because they, they can change year in and year out. So double check that with the regulations and I'll send you the links. So you can put that in the show notes. Um, yeah, sounds great. So it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty expensive, but you know, depending on how much you save and if you, if you value this experience then you know, you can, you can make that happen. So, but uh, you're going to be into it for a little over a grand um, just with tickets and, um, and, and license and, and tag. And if you were doing brown bear instead, you probably have to layer on guides and more expensive tags, I'd imagine. Yeah, you're going further north, and uh, I'm not sure what the going rate for that is, but I would, I would assume um, you're talking about tens of thousands of dollars, maybe, maybe a five to, to 10,000. Yeah, so probably not a play for a new hunter there. Black bear is a much easier entry point. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can do it yourself. And also you don't want, you know, you, you kind of, you don't want to get over your head. You don't want to have a book written about you because you're unprepared like Chris McCandless or, or Timothy Treadwell. Not, not to defame them. Sure. I mean, they, they, I, we, you can discuss like they have merits to the way that they lived and what they did. Like there's nothing at all wrong with what they did. Don't get me wrong. Um, but you know, it, there is a tragic something in their story that led to their demise. And that's not, that's not what you want. Yeah, coming home from the hunt, that's 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 got to be priority number 1. Mm. So, you're going up, you know, going up after bears that may weigh upwards of 300 pounds. What kind of guns and gear do you need to go after? I mean, no, I know everybody wants to know about the firearms piece first, so, you know, maybe let's just drill into that. What do you recommend to to go after that because you got to have two things, I would imagine. You got to have at least some range and then you got to have enough knockdown power to to put one of those down without going too far. Yeah. Um, first of all, just to clarify real quick there, I, I, I gave you, a, I misquoted 
the uh, the price. Um, guy I know that does uh, guided Kodiak brown bear hunts. Uh, the rates for 2021 were twenty four thousand um, dollars. Wow! And that's uh, brown bear hunts Kodiak October twenty fourth through uh, November third. Um, so I mean, it's super expensive, but I mean, you're, you're talking, like, this is a world-class guide and these are world-class bears. So this is, this is the top of the top of the top. So if you're able to, uh, to save that money or, you know, you got in on Bitcoin pretty early, then uh, that's going to be, <laughs> that's going to be what it costs. That's just the reality. You know, if you want a brown bear, like it's not just not going to be something you can easily do. Uh, whereas black bear, it's going to be uh, a little bit different. A little bit, uh, a little bit cheaper there. But uh, uh, so as far as caliber goes, I'll I'll, I'll go back to, to Black Bear here. I use a, a two seventy, um, one hundred and fifty grain bullet. Um, I am am of the um, shot placement group where I really need to make sure that I'm making a good shot. And some people will say, you know, caliber up, get the biggest gun that you can shoot, and take out one of the shoulders so it can't run away. But I just like being able to shoot a weapon that I'm familiar with, that I can shoot a bunch, that I'm not scared to practice with. Because uh, if there is some element of, of buck fever, of, of bear fever, of whatever, you know, you want to be able to put that thing as close as possible. So if, if you're nervous and you're shooting a weapon that's way bigger than you're used to, you know, you're talking about, you know, out of the boiler room to a spot where you're wounding an animal and it's going to take a lot more time to recover. So, um, a 270 is, is what I prefer. 30 out six is a good, good weapon as well. So there's really no need to, to come up with some brand new rifle that is some massive caliber that you only practice with five or seven times because your shoulder hurts, you know, whatever you can shoot. Well, I, I wouldn't go any lower than a 270. Uh, but a 270 30-06 is great because you can shoot those all day. You can practice. You can get really good. You can focus on a really good shot that's going to put that animal down. Um, for the animal's sake, obviously, you don't want an animal suffering. And then also, you know, for your sake, you want to have that 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 peace of mind that the animal's down. That you know, you take that breath. The the job is done. You're not worried about tracking an animal uh, into the dark, into the woods, into into wherever. So uh, a 270 is is my prefer with a 150 grain. Nice. And, you know, I, I've seen through deer hunting and I, I imagine it's somewhat similar through bear hunting. While on paper, it should not be possible. I'm constantly shocked at how far a deer can run or in some way locomote minus a shoulder if, uh, if nothing more vital than that has been hit. They're just incredibly resilient creatures. And I'd imagine only bears are more so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's, you know, the last thing you want to do is, is harm an animal. You want, you want these things to be super, super clean kills. And that's, you know, um, you just, you just want that to happen and they're going to be resilient. So you want to put the, that plot, that shot in the right spot and, and make that happen as easy as possible. And sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll hit it and it's over, you know, and, um, that's great. Like my brown bear was like that. I, I went uh, brown bear hunting with a 30 out six with a two twenty grain and, just dropped it, which was kind of surprising, but you know, I, I airmailed the first one or I, I gave it a warning shot from the first one. Uh, cause I didn't have a, it was somewhat obstructed because there's a little bit of a, of a rise between me and it, it was about 300 yards and I just sent it over the top and then it kind of ran toward us, um, at an angle. So it was coming closer to shore and then it just kind of stopped for a second and shot, dropped it like just dead stone dead. 
which brown bear with a 30 out six and it it was a pretty old uh bear but you know good shot placement it's just it's so important um and you, you just you just don't want to lose the bear and have to to notch the tag without getting it you don't want some crazy adventure you just want to take care of it respect the animal by getting it done Sure. Of course, now I'm going to ask you the question that's almost impossible to answer effectively via audio format, but what is the best shot placement? Where do you want to put that bullet given the ideal circumstance? You know, your, your heart and lungs, if you can hit the heart, you know, if you're, if you're looking at like, rather than look at the entire animal and try to hit the entire animal, if you're looking at a, a one inch patch of fur and behind that, you're seeing the heart if you can superimpose that as you're, as you're making that call, then go for that. Um, people also say double lung, you know, it's, it's the same thing. You know, some people say, I want to aim for the exact heart. Other people say, you know, if you come back a little bit and maybe you don't use it, if you aim for the heart, maybe nick the shoulder or something like that, you know, so double lung it, you're going to be good to go. It's going to be difficult for it to, to run too far because it's lungs are compromised. Um, but then, you know, other people say you put the first one in the shoulder so it can't run away and, finish it off with something else like i don't know like different people are going to have different um convincing arguments for different things but you know i'm I'm trying to put one in the heart that's uh that's kind of where i go like that sort of small area so the the more focused you are with where you're aiming um i think the better your 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 shooting is going to be if you're aiming for the whole area lungs or heart then you know maybe all of a sudden you're not yeah, you're hitting beyond that. So focus down to something that's very, very small, whether your focal point is like one part of the lungs or the heart. I think that's the, that's the key to putting a good shot. Sure. And, you know, I never want to be someone that, uh, you know, is a downer on other people's methodology, but I just, I come from the school of, you know, two shots is not a plan. That yeah. two shots is what you do when a plan fails. You should plan to take that animal with one shot because you just don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hit it in the hood in the shoulder and the good shot, bad shot. Maybe it runs. Maybe you don't get another shot. Maybe it backs up. Maybe it rolls over. Maybe you can't hit him on the move with the follow-up shot. To me, that just seems like, okay, that's plan B. But, you know, plan A feels like, all right, you need to make a kill shot with that first one. You know, And I imagine from, you know, 30 yards versus 300 yards, you know, where you can put that bullet confidently is going to vary some what to from your experience what kind of ranges do you think are reasonable for people to expect and practice at it's so funny because it doesn't matter what you say there's going to be some like non-hunter who'd be like this is outrageous and then even some hunter too that would be like oh that's totally ridiculous you don't want to be hunting black bears or anything less than this or someone probably said oh you can hunt black brother 243 like Whatever, man. It's, what? <laughs> it ultimately comes down to whatever you are most comfortable with and whatever you believe in. But I totally agree with the, um, you know, it, it should be a one, one shot program. Should 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 definitely be uh, um, what you're going with. But uh, I actually forgot your question. What was your question? Oh yeah, no worries. Um, so what kind of shot ranges? Oh, oh, do you um, think you're, you're looking at or should practice at? You know, I think it's good to be, you know, whatever you can do. Like there are some some ranges that don't have, you know, stuff out past 200, 300 yards. And so the, the last thing you want is to, you know, you sight your rifle in at a hundred and you feel great. Cause all you have to do is just do a calculation or look at the bullet drop on the side of the box and say, all right, well, you know, 300, it's going to drop six inches. So I'll just plan for that and shoot. So, you know, <laughs> you know, shoot 
wherever you can and then be honest with the guide or with yourself when you're out there and you think, all right, well, I've shot to a hundred a lot and I feel great at a hundred. Maybe you don't shoot past 150, 200. If you haven't shot to 200, then your first time shooting at 200 should probably not be at a, at a, at a bear that you've spent, you know, 1200, 1500, $1,800 just to get here. So, um, I think your expectation, um, could be on the grass flats or so in the spring could be, you know, two, 300 yards, but you know, you can also make good moves. If the wind is right, you can get around. They have terrible vision. Like I said before, in the previous episode, you can get to, you know, 50, 75 yards. You can get even closer to that. So depending on your setup, depending on the wind, it's definitely reasonable to think about 100 as, as expected. Um, but you know, older boars might get used to, to animals or to, to people being around them. And so those animals are going to be a little bit more, um, you know, likely to maybe move. And so you might not be able to get super close to them. So you might be looking at a longer shot, but, um, I don't see why you should expect to shoot, you know, 300, 400, something crazy. It's not, you know, stalking a caribou on the tundra or anything like that. So, um, 100, 200 definitely is, is, is probably for spring for fall, probably a little bit closer than that because you're probably going to be hunting, uh, near rivers, things like that. And so it's, it's pretty tight quarters. And, um, so your shots are probably going to be, uh, going to be shorter. Right. I think you make a great point there in terms of practice. I mean, guys, you can't just, you can't just grab the box ammo and say, Oh, okay. I need to aim this high at that range. Those numbers may or may not line up with your rifle. They may not have, you know, they might've shot those test groups at the factory with a different barrel length, different barrel twist, different conditions. Those numbers might be a calculation. They might not even be the real numbers. And sometimes, you know, ammo manufacturers give you velocities and ranges and drops that are optimistic to say the best. Yeah. So I think whatever you want to hunt with, get out there on the range, practice with that rifle, with that round at any range that you plan on taking a shot at and make sure you can hit a target smaller than the one that you're going to be aiming at. Because once you get that adrenaline and your heart's pumping and you might not have a good shooting position. You got to allow yourself some margin at a, at a previously tested range. Yeah. You could look at your, at your target and you're a little bit left on one, a little bit high on another, a little bit right, but you're all, you know, within quarter inch, half inch of the bullseye. So you're feeling really good about yourself that you're almost touching the bullseye, or maybe you are touching the bullseye, but then you expand that angle out to 300 yards and then you expand a little bit of a twitch and all of a sudden, you know, you're four five, six inches off. And that's a huge, huge, huge deal. And if you are hitting an animal or hitting a bear far back and then, you know, you're tracking it and there's a ton of blood, ton of blood, not as much blood, not as much blood. And all of a sudden there's no blood that dialed in at a hundred, you know, all of a sudden is a huge problem because there's no bear trail. The bear could be dead somewhere, but. You know, as I, as I mentioned in the previous uh, episode, that once that fat and once all that thick fur starts to kind of kind of dry and coagulate, all the bleeding is 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 inside. So, you know, it's not going to be not going to be easy. And if you're in a wet environment, it's going to be harder to track an animal as it is. If, if it's raining or everything is damp and moist, that blood trail is going to go away. So you you want to be able to to put this down and have a good memory and not some harrowing 
you know, adventure of how you walked up on it and it was still alive and you had to put three or four more rounds in it. So your, your bear just absolutely suffered. So you want to put that down and be, and get it over with. Oh yeah, absolutely. So obviously the rifle is going to be a critical piece of gear. What other gear items do you think are must haves or must haves to consider for, for black bear hunting? I think it, any archer wants to come up and do a black bear hunt, especially because a black bear seems a lot more accessible than a brown bear, and it is. And so all that stuff definitely plays in for sure. Uh, but then shooting is so important there, or even more so because, you know, we practice standing shooting, stand, shoot, stand, shoot. But there are times when you're going to be behind a piece of driftwood or you're going to be behind a rock and you're going to have to kneel. You know, so have you drawn your bow and are you making great shots, um, kneeling, you know, and are, are there things in your way and, and you have, have you sat, um, when it's cold, my, my issue last year with, uh, black deer hunting was <laughs> the, the deer came in right exactly where I wanted, but I've been sitting for an hour and I was cold and it was raining and I had my hood all the way up and it was zipped up. It was one of those hoods that they were doing the Sitka hoodies that kind of you know, makes half your face disappear. And so when I drew back, it was hard to find that anchor correctly because like, you know, the jawline feels different from through the fabric. And so I had never practiced, you know, I, I would practice, you know, 30, 40, 50 yards and, you know, put the target back in some brush just so I had distraction, just so it was a little bit different. I shot from my knees, but I'd never shot from you know, my face being somewhat covered by material. And so I didn't find my anchor right. And I shot three inches in front of the thing. So I was, I was almost a foot off. I was super excited and I was cold and I totally pulled it. It was terrible. Um, but you know, all those short sort of shooting situations, it's not just about being able to stand in your shorts and you're comfortable and you, you know, you're, you're shooting tacks out to 50, 60 yards. It's about, can you sit and you're chilly and then find it when it matters. So um, the archery thing definitely is, I'm sure, appealing to any archer who wants to come up and then want to, want to get a black bear, at least thinking about it. So that's just as important and as many angles as you can think of uh, with all the gear that you have uh, is super, super important as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I imagine time of the year, season, where exactly you're hunting you know, the, the, the rest of the gear is going to vary tremendously based upon all those factors. There's almost no one recommendation you could probably make in terms of what you need to wear or what else you need to have with you or on you in terms of just, you know, how to, how to go out there and how to do it under any one set of conditions. Yeah. I would say that probably the, the the gear that that's probably the most in, in the spring would definitely be uh waders um and not boot in waders because you don't have the same sort of traction so if you get uh, uh the neoprene booty waders with uh, uh with the boots because it's just you're, you're going to be wet you're going to be hiking through you know it's it's tidal um so you might need them just getting off the boat to get to shore um just keeping you dry, keeping you warmer because you could be sitting out in the spring and it's, and it's raining. Those waders are going to keep you drier and warmer. A uh, good rain jacket, water resistant means you'll just get less wet, but you will get wet. So um, I would sacrifice some really nice new like camo design for something that's going to actually keep you 
dry because bears don't have great vision. If you do have your, your profile broken up a little bit, that might help you a little bit, uh, especially if you're in close quarters. If you're going archery, that might be a good idea. Um, but for long range type stuff, just, just whatever's going to keep you dry and going to keep you comfortable is going to be huge. And that's going to, that's going to go the same thing for fall. Cause especially Southeast Alaska here, um, we get so much rain that, um, you know, if, if you're getting, if you're getting cold and you have to sit and you're waiting for something to come out, you're not going to be as patient. Um, you know, it's just going to be a more miserable experience. So, uh, having layers is really important in a good outer jacket. Um, I have a pair of Grundon's bibs. They're like the, the fishing bibs that you see on deadliest catch, not quite as thick. Uh, they don't make as much a sound. You can buy a lighter version of them, but I mean, they're absolutely waterproof. They insulate pretty well too. So you're going to be probably pretty hot from walking around and hiking around in those things, but you're going to be dry. No matter where you sit, you're going to stay dry. Um, so we're talking waterproof things, not some nice light breathable packable stuff because that stuff if it's light and breathable it's going to get wet like it's just it's going to if air can get through water is going to find its way through so uh waterproof gear is just absolutely vital for your ability to stay out as long as you need to um comfort enjoyment all that stuff yeah so probably the same kind of stuff you'd wear on a on a day where you're hunting ducks and it's 40 degrees and downpour that's the same kind of, of, of approach you ought to be taking to keep yourself dry, warm, and still alive. Yeah, I've definitely seen people uh, wear that sort of stuff. The um, When you're on the beaches, you're going to have a lot of uh, sharp rocks, and you're going to have rocks that have uh, barnacles and things like that on them. So, you know, that could be – it could be tough on neoprene. Um, but, um, yeah, like just you, – you just want it's better to be hot than cold. You know, like there's always cases of people who are – um, you know, get hypothermic and that's, you know, it's September or, you know, it's, it's August. I get hyper, I got the hypothermic in, in August, um, two years ago, it was just raining, raining. And I was waiting for the, for the fog to clear. And I was just sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. And, you know, I could just feel that my, I couldn't feel my toes. And then I couldn't feel from my, my fingers to my wrists. I'm like, gosh, dang it. Now I got to get up and walk around. But, you know, if it's your first time with that, like, you don't really know, you kind of go right to the, the shaking uncontrollable phase and it could be a little different, but you know, growing up in Southeast Alaska, I've fallen through the ice twice. Like, you know, I've, I've been out. It doesn't mean that I don't take it seriously. It's just that, okay, this is, this is what I need to do in this case. And what I need to do in this case is get up and walk around, get the blood flowing because this is not a, this is not a sit and rewarm. This is not a, um, you know, I, I put, put the hand warmer out and put it in my hands. Like this is, I need to get the blood flowing. So you just don't want to be miserable. You know, you want your trip to be fun and you can say, yeah, it sucked because it was raining the whole time, but you know, we got it done because I was prepared. Yeah, absolutely. And I can relate to that from hunting just about anything else. When it's cold, wet, rainy, and your gear's terrible, it doesn't take much to to put you in that kind of a condition. So say you you got your gear, you got your rifle, you got your bow, you take your shot, that animal goes down, you track it, you find it, you got a dead animal there. You take pictures, some selfies, maybe you do a little dance, then, okay, pull out a knife. Now, now, how do you go about the dressing part? You know, you might have to cover some distance or get this thing to a boat or, you know, what, what's the next steps that happen once you've got the animal on the ground? Um, I like a couple different knives. One fixed blade. I know there's a huge rage with, uh, and I have a couple of those disposable blades because they're so great. Havilon, Gerber make unbelievably sharp 
knives that are disposable that last a, a, a pretty long time. So the, I, I prefer, or I have Gerber, but you know, Gerber, Havlon, whatever. Um, but when you are, I'm assuming a lot of people come up here, they want to make a rug out of the, out of the black bear. And so you're going to look at, you're going to want a fixed blade knife that when you're getting in, um, the claw area or the, the paw area, you're going to be able to, to, to move and, and, and get those ligaments and get those tendons out there. And if you tweak those blades or you turn those disposable blades, are going to snap. So you're going to want a nice fixed blade knife. Um, there's a couple lightweight ones. Uh, Argali makes an awesome, really lightweight, very sharp, um, knife that you can, you can resharpen. They're actually also coming out with like a belt that has a sharpener on the belt buckle or something like that. It's pretty sweet. Um, but you're going to want some sort of fixed blade knife to be able to get in there uh, when you're when you're skinning the thing and and um, separate that. Um, and then same thing when you're taking the skull out of the out of the skin. If um, I mean if you're with a guy, they're probably going to do that for you. But uh, if you want to do that, it's nice to have just a variety of knives and a small knife that's really sharp that's fixed blade to, to kind of get in there um, to do that, so you're not breaking blades. Um, so those would be kind of the knife choices there. Um, game bags, some, some reusable game bags. Are great. I have a couple five or six Argali game bags. Again, they're great. They have reflective lettering on them. And so if you do have to end up hanging the meat and coming back to it, um, you kind of see where it is and, um, they're just, they're sturdy, they work, and then you can, you can wash them, you can reuse them. So those are great. Um, it's always nice to have some rope. Um, if, uh, if you do have to pull the thing out of a, out of a hole or something like that, if it, if it went and died in one of those spots, if you have some rope and you can tie it out or tie it to one of the legs and pull it out, that'd be good. Or if you are hunting solo and it's just too big, you can tie one of the, one of the legs off and you can, you can keep it up while you, while you work on it. Um, so those are some of the things that, uh, that are probably good for, for that sort of process. Nice. And then what happens? You've got meat, you've got fat. Um, you know, some people wouldn't dare eat bear meat. Some people look at it as a delicacy, you know, where do you go from there? What, what's your take? It's really, it's crazy just how different the bears can taste and smell. And you'll know right off. Like if you, if you're taking the, taking the hide off and you, you just, kind of smells a little bit different you're going to know that if you have a if you have a good bear or a bear that might need a little bit more work um but um i really really like like a bear sausage um you know you've heard of chorizo like you can make it into bear riso um you know if you don't like the taste of game meat you know you you bury it right so if you're burying the meat anyway then you know you might as well just put it in a form that's going to be not distracting. So, um, you can buy lamb Cabela's and all those, all those brands have summer sausage recipes they have, or, or a mix. You just add some pork fat and you grind the, the bear meat in with the pork fat with the seasoning. And oh my gosh, it's so good. My buddy Ryan is so good at, at making this, this bear summer sausage. And it's not like good for bear sausage. It's like good for sausage. Like I would just love this if it was at uh, at the malls with we don't have a mall here but i'm just thinking back to my down south days when you'd go to the mall and you'd have those hickory farms things where they had the summer sausages and the and the cheese and the cracker um plates and whatnot you could have those samples man 
his bear summer sausage is as good as any summer sausage I've ever had. And you couldn't even tell it's bear, you know, so you don't have to make any sort of sessions, um, you know, compromises for that. So, um, if you're not a fan of, of bear, then I would maybe not go like a bear steak or like a bear burger. Um, but there's a lot of different things out there that you can add these mixes to it and you can add some pork fat and you can have a whole bunch of really good meat for brats, for chorizo, for, uh, summer sausage, things like that. So I would really, really encourage, um, keeping the meat. And if it's at a time of the year where you're not required to take the meat, you know, at least take a good amount of the meat and, and, and take it back with you along with the hide. So you can enjoy that and you can make some of that stuff work rather than try to, you know, just you know, put it on, on Facebook or something like that. And Hey, we got some free meat or trying to donate it, you know, like spend a lot of money coming up here. Might as well get some meals out of it too. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, my whole philosophy is, you know, there's no reason not to take the meat, not to eat the meat, not to, you know, for me, part of the adventure and anytime I go hunting something new is, okay, what's the best way to eat this? What's the best way to cook this? What can you do to make this the most palatable to, to go from palatable to good to excellent? You know, of course, every now and then you get an animal and that particular animal is not a great one flavor wise. And, and you got to, you know, whatever you can do to replace that flavor with something else. But by and large, you know, I think it's uh, just one of the most enjoyable parts of the hunt that helps the hunt go year round is, you know, what can you do with this resource now that you've got in your freezer in order to make it the best it can be and get to the point where it's not just tolerable, not just enjoyable, but, you know, something that you look forward to serving to people who've never had it before or only had it bad. And then you give them this and their eyes light up and go, oh, wow, that is good. I, I, that's one of my favorite parts. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that even comes down to salmon. Like I've had some buddies that come up to Alaska and we catch some salmon and they go home and they give most of it away because they don't like the taste of salmon. Well, you don't you don't have to just like put a little a little dash of lemon pepper on it and then cook it like there's so many ways. Salmon is so versatile. You know, you don't you don't have to just cedar plank it if you don't like the taste of salmon that's fine. Like find other ways to, to cook it in a way and flavor it in a way that's going to be good. And I think the same thing can be said for, for any game species. Um, bears is probably the one that's the, you know, biggest stretch, I guess, you know, elk is so clearly good and caribou is so clearly good. Same thing with moose and Sitka blacktail. Um, you know, not a lot of people are, are, are really excited about black bear, but they'll tolerate it. And there's, you know, like, if, if no other thing, it's better that you use black bear for your summer sausage than a really good tasting deer. So finding ways to make it work is, is pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. So before we wrap up here, anything else you've got top of mind that you want to share or seems pertinent for the conversation and new hunters and people thinking about going after bears? Uh, I would say that if you're looking at a hunt in Southeast Alaska, there are a couple of things to consider. First of all, you're going to fly into probably catch a can and some other, you know, expenditures that, you know, people might not be thinking about is you get Alaska airlines to catch a can. And then there's no, no large flight that goes over to Prince of Wales, which is unit two. Uh, Prince of Wales is the third largest Island in the United States of America. Um, yet it only has maybe about 5,000 people. So there's an extensive road system and you can do it DIY. Um, but you're going to have to, there's only one, maybe two rental companies that uh, rent vehicles. Um, so you get on the road system, you're driving around, you know, what's your camp going to be? Do you have good camping, uh, opportunities, uh, materials, things like that. So, um, 
you know, just be aware of that. There's uh, there's some areas that rent skiffs, so you can get out to some of these other areas because not all these um, areas that are accessible by by road where you can get to a lot of these inlets and, and rivers and creeks and things like that. So if you are DIY, then you're looking at how you're going to get around the road system, um, how you're going to camp, um, and then how you're going to ship stuff back. Um, so those are some other considerations that, that you look at there. And there's a lot of information that's available online. Um, but there's some other logistical concerns when you're coming up to Southeast Alaska that have to do with the fact that you're probably going to be flying away from a, a community that has Alaska Airlines and you're going to have to go, you know, either with, with Island Air or some of the smaller, um, either charter or, or smaller float plane areas to get flown out to some areas. You can also get flown out to an area, get dropped off and kind of make your own bear camp and then get picked up. So um, it's really a buffet of options, but it's, it's much, much different than just kind of loading up the truck, driving out somewhere and do one of those things. So uh, take a look at a map and just kind of look around at, at the Ketchikan area and just look at all the islands and, you know, do your e-scouting and think about how can I get there? Um, you know, do I need a vehicle? Am I going to need a, a raft? Am I going to need a skiff? Like what are, what are all these things? Cause the last thing you want to do is, is come up here and be like, all right, well now what? Or, you know, I thought I was going to take the boat from Ketchikan over to Hollis. Now I'm in Hollis and there's no hotel here. There's no restaurant here. There's nothing here, you know? Um, so just, uh, do some research and, um, you can go to the mediocrealaskan.com. You can shoot me an email or, or send me a message on, uh, on Instagram, something like that. If anybody, I like to you know, help people uh, make these sort of things a, a reality. Um, but, you know, there's way more people who are, who are experts. So if you want to, you know, talk to some guys or follow some people, I think it's probably a, probably a good idea too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Jeff. Um, you know, the insight is extremely valuable and really appreciate everything that you're doing. Thanks, man. I really appreciate uh, you having me on. It's been a, uh, been 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 fun yeah absolutely guys make sure you check out the mediocre alaskan the podcast check out the website find out more about jeff's book uh, and just some of the truth and the full picture of what's coming out of alaska some amazing stuff there and uh you know i think there's a lot of takeaways no matter where you're hunting but also there's just this you know this this intrigue that he delves into you're just not going to find too many other places so make sure also head to the website, newhuntersguide.com. I'll put some links in the show notes to Jeff's stuff and other things that he's mentioned on the episode. Make sure you hit subscribe, head to iTunes, leave a review with comment. Number one way to help us get shows like this out to more people. So till next time, God bless you guys and go get them in the woods.